When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. For this week's Londonist Out Loud, we are heading east to Victoria Park, a wonderful public space opened to the public for the first time in 1845 and injected much more recently with 12 million pounds of sprucing up money. A little nugget for you, you can actually see two alcoves from the old London Bridge on the far east side of Victoria Park. They were part of the 1760 refurbishment of the 600-year-old bridge. A perfect place to shelter if the weather is inclement, as it was threatening to be at the beginning of this week's recording, which is why from time to time you'll hear wind getting the better of us. Never pleasant. It's Saturday the 6th of June 2015. I'm N. Quentin Wolfe and this is Londonist Out Loud. Hey baby, let me take you down to a place of strange sights and sound. You ain't never seen the light before, just a stone throw from your front door. from Victoria Park, where, as I've met my guests this morning, we were all congratulating each other on what a beautiful day it was, and we were warming ourselves in the sunshine. Uh, since we've sat down to begin the interview, a wind has started to whip up. The sky has clouded over. I think we could be sitting in a torrential downpour by the end of the interview. Well, my guests today are part of the Fostering Network, and they are Lisa Belletti, Programme Manager of London Fostering Achievement, and Zion Zachary, he's a young ambassador with the Fostering Network. Good morning, you both. Hello. Hello. What are we doing in the middle of Victoria Park? Does anybody know? I think we're having a rather nice time, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> we are. We're talking about fostering and what the Fostering Network is doing. We're in the middle of an initiative at the moment, and we've also discovered your childhood, Zion. Let's start there. You must have, I presume, grown up in this area. Yeah, I live just locally, really. I remember when I was younger, as a young person, as a child, probably around 10 years old, these slides that you see around you, you know, I used to think they were heaven, really. That was the pinnacle of, I don't know, childhood. And I'll say my memories of this whole area is just surrounded in those slides, those 
10-foot slides that you can just slide up. We, we need to do a bit of an advertisement here. Um, it's entirely tangential, I suppose, but this is one of the best kids' playgrounds around, isn't it? This is bang in the middle of Victoria Park, and uh, this is the sort of thing that you could only dream of if you were a suburban child who was restricted to one set of broken swings and a modest slide. This, this is huge. Absolutely. I have to say that I was based in Victoria Park for the Olympics, and coming back to have a look at it now is kind of like when you take the Christmas tree down after Christmas and the, the room looks bare but it's an absolutely beautiful space we've got lots of cyclists um, and some children playing and it's a real paradise for childhood I think and there's an additional level of excitement to be found when you walk past the sunken skateboard and BMX area if you don't know that's there then you can be walking past it and a skateboard can suddenly fly out of nowhere and uh, <laughs> knock your hat off uh, we're here to talk about fostering though particularly fostering in London what's the way into this subject Lisa? Well I guess I could tell you a little bit about what the Fostering Network does as an organisation. So we're a charity um, and we work with foster carers, their families and the services that support them to try and ensure that young people achieve the very best of their potential and I personally um, have a real interest in fostering my aunt fosters three siblings and has done for a number of years and I feel really passionate about the contribution that foster carers make to the lives of young people so when this job came up to work on a programme to um, improve educational outcomes for young people in foster care and young people in foster care don't do as well as their peers around education they're four times more likely to be temporarily excluded they don't achieve as well at school for completely understandable reasons and I have to say that having met young people who who have achieved who can and do achieve it kind of made me really passionate about uh, the chance to do a programme to to boost their outcomes. So just to understand the lie of the land, fostering families, people who are fostering, are making an important contribution, and we're going to unpack that. What are the alternative routes for a child who is not fostered? So a young person could be in a residential facility, they could be in residential care, Um, they can be adopted, although the numbers of young people who are kind of adopted are much smaller than those who are fostered. So for example, if you were to put all the young people um, who are in care, tonight they would fill the Olympic Stadium, and around 4,000 a year are adopted, so most of those, 63,000 of those are with foster carers. That's a a shocking visualisation of the situation, isn't it? Just to be clear in my mind, what is the difference between fostering and adoption and I'm, I'm asking that imagining that fostering is somehow more temporary um well actually i think fostering can be more temporary yeah. son do you want to yeah i mean fostering it can be temporary and it can be long term as well but adoption is almost as if you're taking the child into your home as your own child so there's less support in a sense financially there's there actually is no support financially from any person who referred the child to you and you're you're using your own resources your own love every sort of part of you to take care and bring up that child as your own and you can't just give up the child if there are challenges of course those placements can break down as well but fostering overall is more seen as a sort of it can be for respite it can be for um, a period of weeks or a period of months it can also be long term and seen as an adoption and be for years as well but primarily um, fostering the differences between that one adoption is more of you're taking that young person as your own child and you're bringing them up and um, the fostering is you're bringing a child into your home which can possibly um, leave within any any allocated period of time maybe post 18 and 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 yeah that's usually the difference from my understanding 
and experience. So that's that's very much a relationship that's more up for negotiation yeah. on a, on a sort of rolling basis, I suppose. Yes, yes, that's that, that's what fostering more is. But adoption is it's just as if you you had a child and you brought them up, and as as if it was normal. Of course, you still know that you've adopted the child but it's more of a long-term thing and there's no thought in your mind that this is going to end. It's, it's just whenever the child wants to go in terms of inter-independence to buy their own house, start their own family rather than it being once you're 18 or once you're t- over 20 or, or whatever age it is, which is the cut-off point in that local authority where the child eventually just leaves. But no, this is a, a, a more of a family unit thing where you stay within the family until you're ready to leave. Is there a typical fostering experience uh, or an experience that features more frequently, perhaps in terms of age or in terms of reasons for things being as they are? I mean, I think if you look at the statistics, three in five young people are in foster care because of abuse or neglect. Um, And sadly, that is the picture. I mean, young people may come into care because they themselves are disabled and the families are struggling to cope with that or because parents are disabled, sometimes due to bereavement. I think that um, if a child is in foster care, it's often um, because the family's reached a point of crisis. And what we would say about the difference between fostering and adoption is that sometimes people, you know, they have families of their own if they're in foster care and they may just need a temporary respite or some extra support for a period of time and so they they still have families of their own but the foster carers play a really important role in sort of giving them some stability um, and love and support over that period of time. So am I understanding this correctly then? One of the examples you gave was a disabled child that the parents were or the family was having trouble supporting. Are you saying that they reach a point, they could reach a point where they feel they can't cope and a foster family steps in for a fixed duration um, to support them and then the child goes back to that family. Absolutely, yes. Um, we have some champions who are foster carers as part of our programme London Fostering Achievement and several of them are respite carers. So they particularly look after young people who may have autism or a, a particular disability. They have expertise in supporting them, but they would look after them for set periods of time so that the parents had time to have some respite, have some additional support. You gave that vivid image of the Olympic Stadium. In terms of London, are we able to put some sort of context here, some sort of numbers? If I was to ask what sort of proportion of families are struggling to cope so perhaps uh, you, you've got them on your horizon as potentially needing foster assistance alongside the ones whose kids are being fostered what sort of numbers are we looking at I think in London um, you're looking at around 11,000 young people who are in care for various reasons um, at points during the year Um, and so that's quite a large number of young people and it varies from borough to borough so as part of our programme one of the privileges we have is that we work across London so we work with lots of places so there are some boroughs such as Hillingdon and Croydon who have quite large numbers of young people particularly young people who are unaccompanied minors who may have come over from um, you know a a crisis or a situation in in a country abroad and so it varies from borough to borough um, depending on the needs of the population yeah, I think Lisa perfectly highlighted it there. Yeah, in different boroughs, yeah, it definitely does vary. There are people from varying backgrounds, whether asylum seekers, definitely a variety of young people. And London does have that diversity more in different areas of the country. Uh, is it uh, split down wealth lines? Do you find that the, the wealthier the area, the, the less fostering uh, is required? 
No, I wouldn't say that, actually. I think that's a common misconception. I think families can reach points of crisis for lots of different reasons. And obviously, economics does play a factor in that. So, you know, if you, um, you know, you're struggling financially, then obviously it puts a lot of pressure on the family situation. But I wouldn't say that the correlation is that, you know, poor families put their children into foster care. For example, you may have um, a child where there's been a bereavement. And so uh, the family is then unable to cope in a situation. So it's nothing to do with their economic situation. It's simply circumstances that have happened or it may be that a parent is disabled regardless of socioeconomic status and therefore cannot support that young person in the way they'd really like to so I think just the reasons are very varied and I think you know sadly abuse and neglect you know there is abuse and neglect and that's a a good reason that lots of young people come into foster care and two-thirds of the cases involve some sort of substance misuse as well so on the part of the parent yes and i think mental health uh, is also an issue and that's an issue that affects you know uh, like one in one in four people will be affected by a mental health problem at some point in their lives and sometimes mental health can also play a factor in young people coming into to be fostered so what sort of proportion of children going into fostering are there because the family is asking for help against what proportion where some sort of intervention has uh, taken place? I do think there's it's definitely a small number who actually refer to um, needing foster care because it's probably seen as a something bad happening to the family as it's perceived you know generally you know you your child leaving your own house I don't think um, it's rare that you'd see somebody volunteering their children to be taken up but in terms of it happening as a result of some uh, some negative circumstance, that's definitely more prominent reason why people do come into foster care. And unfortunately, I don't think there are statistics on that, whether people kind of self-select to ask for additional help or whether um, it's social, a social worker or a teacher or somebody else who refers a family. But I think Zion's painted a really accurate picture there. Mostly um, it's um, another professional who'll pick up that a family may be struggling to cope and therefore will refer them to social services. So now what does that mean? Obviously, there's a load of stigma around the idea that you haven't been able to provide for your child. And maybe it's a taboo to think about uh, having the conversation that would result in your child going somewhere else because you can't manage. But is there also a factor of the families not realising that they're that deep into whatever negative situation? Do Do you think they know how bad things have gotten? I think sometimes people don't actually and and how we view things is often based on our own experiences and so some families I think would kind of think that a certain situation was completely normal uh, when in fact social services may rule that there is risk for the young person there and obviously we want young people to be in loving stable homes and sometimes people aren't for whatever reason able to provide that. So what are your personal experiences in and around fostering in terms of um, my personal experience i was fostered when i was around 15 years old and i was in foster care for a year and three months this is due to um, challenging circumstances in my home where i had um, a negative relationship with my mother at the time so that caused um, a lot of um, arguments in the house a lot of debate and especially as my older brother had left the house i was alone in the house with just um, my mother and my sisters so being the only male I, I don't know I think that caused pressure um, within the home and more reliance on that male figure and um, a lot of the anger and frustration of what was going on in home I think was pushed on me myself so yeah so I eventually made the decision one night to just pack up and leave the house and because my older brother had been in care himself I, I knew in my mind that that was an option if he hadn't been in care, 
I wouldn't have seen it as an option. I wouldn't have even known that word existed. So it would have been probably, I would have been less likely to have gone into care probably unless I was forcibly removed by a social worker. Your brother, did he go through the same experience? So he went through yeah, a similar experience. He had um, challenging circumstances in school and there was an instance where um, um, his school flagged up concerns about how he was being treated and, and he, they subsequently came to the house and came and removed him and also asked us, um, me and my sisters, whether we'd like to go as well, but we were, too af- we were so afraid we didn't want to go and we, we wasn't going through any problems at the time ourselves, so substantial enough to make us want to go into care as well. So, um, so yeah, he had been through a similar situation. There's an alarm bell uh, ringing in my mind. On the face of it, arguments with one's mother, that, that must be an experience that pretty much everybody has. And so I'm, I can only imagine that underneath that term there must be something rather more serious going on. Yeah, yes, of course. I mean, it, it's more as in, I think the main thing was a culture clash. So how I would say it is she was raised in an African context where the rule of thumb is... Um, I'm always right and there's you're always wrong and whereas I was raised in this in in London where there's more rights there's more independence and you grow up differently knowing that you can have some some freedoms and when you're raised in that environment and you come back home and experience something contrary to that it becomes harder and home becomes a hostile environment so within that a lot of frustrations had well welled up, so it wasn't just arguments. There was there was instances of, um, you know, where we'd just not agree on things. She'd smash, she might smash my things in the house. So, if if I had a PlayStation or something which I had maybe saved up to get, which she strictly instructed me that she didn't want in the house, you know, these are just disputes. She might smash something, but those were on rare occasions. But I think it had been caused by a build-up of just disagreements and when you come to a place where you feel like you cannot live in the same house as somebody it doesn't necessarily need to be violence or drug abuse it can just be the home environment is far too hostile to be able to live and be fruitful in that environment so you see that you have to leave and go somewhere else where your your desires can be cultivated well and that's what I thought um, fostering or, or care would provide it's true, isn't it? I think parents very often don't realise the level of power that they hold over their children. You know, of course, the child is dependent on them for pretty much everything, as well as you know, shelter and food and things like that. The sense of security and the sense of self-worth. Is this a common story? Do you see a lot of people coming out of situations like this where it's a culture issue? In terms of culture clash, I'm sure it's... I don't think that's necessarily something that is often the cause of family breakdowns and people coming into care but I do you know of course it's recognised as things such as you know drug abuse neglect or just other factors as well but in terms of I do recall specific instances with particular foster children that I've known or been affiliated with or mentored that their culture might be that you beat your child or you, 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 you physically chastise your child in order for them to stop exhibiting specific behaviours, so it acts as a d- deterrent to stop the young child from behaving in specific ways. But, um, yeah, and, and people have been removed from their houses because of that. And, you know, I, I hear it even within my own cultures, people making jokes about 
if you hit a child, yeah, they're just going to call the, call the police for you now, so don't even bother doing it, because in this country you can't do it. If it was back in our country, that's OK. So those specific culture clashes do cause breakdowns, I'm sure they do, but I don't think it's the most common feat. It's not something substantial enough for you to you know, develop a mass or macro intervention that directly aims at that, although you probably would need to speak about those things in order to, you know, alleviate those those problems. You, Lisa, I think, raised a really interesting question, or a, a spectre, I think some people would think it, with the idea of immigrants and asylum seekers and people like that. Well, there's some part of political thinking that suggests that they shouldn't have their hands on any of our precious national resources. It sounds as though, in some cases, that will be the case, and particularly if somebody's in a disadvantaged situation when they arrive on these shores. Can we talk about the issues around that? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I've uh, I've had the pleasure of working with lots of young people who are um, unaccompanied when they come over. They've often come from incredibly difficult situations and suffered a lot of trauma and loss in war-torn countries. They've seen things that have been, you know, absolutely things that we couldn't even imagine. And I think that, you know, some of the generalisations and claims around um, immigrants coming over and doing this, that and the other, and if you actually meet young people and speak to them, um, and, you know, I, I know personally young people from the Congo from all sorts of different places um, who are incredibly lively bright intelligent people who come here and contribute to society when they leave care um, and they're just absolutely amazing and their resilience and their strength is something that's really inspiring and so I think actually I'd say to people who uh, kind of doubt the you know the, the reasons that people come over that there are lots of people who genuinely come over because they're facing turmoil at home in the countries that they've been raised and they have a story to tell and I would encourage them to listen to it. When you say they turn up, young people turning up unaccompanied, what sort of thing are we talking about? So young people coming without their parents to the country. So they may have been sent here because there's an aunt here or they may have just fled for safety and, and come here. And so um, they're often here alone. And if you can imagine what that must be like if you're kind of you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, how scary that must be. So, th- so this is a kid turning up at the airport, gets off the plane, no idea what to do next? Yes, or a boat or any other kind of form of transport. There may have been somebody they were going to meet here that just didn't turn up or, you know, any kind of number of different scenarios. That potentially sounds really desperate. That sounds like a family waving goodbye perhaps for the last time to their kid and and playing an enormous gamble. Yeah. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. 
But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I think so absolutely and I think that that kind of reflects the desperation that some families feel and how they want uh, sort of uh, you know safety and a better life for their young people. So you're dealing with not just sort of an administrative scenario here you're also presumably dealing with some extraordinarily raw human experience trauma how on earth do you begin with that? Well, I think, and actually, if we kind of go back to foster carers and the skills that they need as professionals, all young people who are in care um, have suffered some form of trauma or loss. And so um, there are some very raw issues. um, And young people who've been through sort of lots of very extreme experiences and incredible amounts of pain. Um, But actually, I think that being a foster carer is about being loving. It's about listening and understanding. And I think of my aunt. She's got three siblings who she looks after. And I think of kind of her tenaciousness on their behalf and how much she cares about them um, and I think that you really young people can and do achieve when having come through care and coming through great adversity um, and I think it just takes a very skilled very supportive foster carer um, or other people in their lives to help them to do that. So you've got the child allocated to a foster family but presumably the home situation or of course the home situation still exists the one that they came from with people trying to put things back together possibly or people angry what's the interaction between the new foster family and the place that the child has come from how does that play out yeah usually um you'd so the child will come into care and there's something that that's called contact which usually happens in foster placements where the young person who's been placed can have contact with their birth family it's it's agreed how many times a week that would happen or how many times a month that would happen and they'd go on excursions like if they decide to go in the cinema if they just decide to meet in a park or if they decide that the birth family should come to the foster placement's home if appropriate it all depends on the circumstance that the family's in if the family's in a position to do that and they're willing then by all means but if they're not able say in in a dramatic instance where the birth parent isn't mentally capable at that time or is in a hospital meant something like that where they're incapable rendered incapable physically or psychologically to do so then that might have to wait in terms of when that happens it could take a long period of time for that to happen but that is the instance in terms of having the birth family connecting with the foster family so that that young person doesn't lose that connection with the home because the ideal situation would be that the young person can return back home that's what happened to me actually and I whenever I quote that happening to me and me eventually going back home after foster care people raise their eyebrows as in in shock and surprise because that is what you'd want that the family situation heals and the family birth family is able to adequately care for their child and they're reunited how did your mum cope with 
what had happened there? Maybe during the process of, of you being out of the home and, and then afterwards when you came back? I mean, I didn't really have much contact with her, but I do know that she was very upset at it in terms of the meetings we had. So, and I think that, that actually played a crucial role in a lot of things changing. So it actually had a positive effect rather than just a long-term negative effect because we don't even talk about that anymore in our relationship. Like, that's, we've gone way past that. But at that time, it did really, I think, cause her to pause and reflect if her older son could have left and then now her younger son has also left perhaps there's a certain way she might be not relating well with the males within the home. So I'm sure it caused her to reflect and pause and reflect and think of other ways she could relate to us and that has caused our relationship to be positive since. What was the effect of her learning that lesson? What what changed? So how she related, I I mean her personality now, she's more socialised into an accepting of how we are in terms of our independence, the way we think. She understands that we think different. I think she was learning a lot of things as a mother herself when she came to this country and started raising us up here. So she knows one way to raise a child and usually it seemed as it's the only way. But then she realised, you know what, it can't be the only way because if I keep doing this and raising my child this way, it's not going to bring about any positive impact. So I've got to learn to adopt specific different ways of teaching, different ways of enforcing rules, different ways of disciplining in order for this family to work. So I think that definitely played a significant part. I guess that authoritarian approach to parenting, mm. uh, irrespective of the, the cultural dynamic, yeah. but there's kind of an appeal to it, I suppose, early on when a child's yeah. small, you know, you need to be the one saying yeah. this is what's going to happen. But the realisation that you've grown and nurtured, hopefully, an individual, somebody who is different from you and is, is going to have different ideas about things, that must come as a, quite a, a surprise to some people. Yeah, no, I think so. And I think in some cases it can be a, a really pleasant surprise. Um, and I have to say that, you know, from uh, experience of meeting young people, everybody's individual. And so, um, you know, when it's about finding the right family for the right young person and actually in London here we we have a shortage of foster carers who will provide an ideal placement for young people with disabilities young people who are teenagers and young people who are siblings and that's actually reflected nationally Um, and I think like it's kind of about the uniqueness of the young person and being willing to kind of see that and work with that. Now, does that mean that foster carers are ticking a box saying, I'm, I really don't think I can handle a disabled individual? Oh, no, it just means they have specialist skills in other areas. So, for example, there are lots of foster carers who are um, skilled at looking after babies. Um, but actually, we do have like a growing number of teenagers in the care system who, who need a, a, the right placement first time. And I think it's a very different skill set working with a baby to working with a teenager. And so it's about having people who kind of have, you know, the love in their heart and the skills to to foster that young person specifically we're going to take a break i want to talk about the foster carers themselves they seem to be very talented generous and uh, interesting people to, to take on this challenge this responsibility i'd be interested to find out what the rewards are are they paid all that kind of thing but we're going to take a break uh, first of all we're going to take a word from our sponsor which is audible and they are, of course, a fantastic audiobooks service. What recommendations do we have from audible.com, Elisa? Um, so I would recommend Animal Farm, which is one of my favourite books of all time. I think it's beautifully told, it's fascinating in its history, and hearing it out loud with the different characters like has a real resonance. Zion? 
I'd recommend Teamwork 101 by John C. Maxwell. And it really teaches you about how different people can come together. And <laughs> Sorry, what? I can't contain what? my laughter. <laughs> this, what? this wasn't the book you were going to recommend. No, 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 no. It's a different one. <laughs> I, I, I should say, listener, the original choice, there was a lot of umming and ahhing whether we could even broadcast it. And it involved a rescue raid on a brothel early on in the plot. <laughs> Uh, yes, Teamwork 101. Yes, yes. So, from changing it to Teamwork 101, and it allows you to learn how to work as a team and bring people from different professional expertise together and accept that some people might not be on the, going on the same path as you. So, it's really a more informative book and teaches you how to run an organisation. So, for example, if you, if you wanted to rescue a sex worker and then work successfully with her afterwards, this um, is the book for you. Not exactly, not exactly, <laughs> yeah. Listener, if you want to grab either of those titles from audible.com, you can do so, you can get it for free too. All you need to do is use our promo code, which is to say log on to audible forward slash Londonist and uh, click through, you'll get access to a 30-day free trial and that includes a free audiobook, which is yours to keep, as are all audiobooks through Audible. Uh, once you've downloaded them, they're yours. And good news as well, if you have already subscribed to Audible more than 12 months ago, you're entitled to another one on us. We have teamed up with audible.co.uk to offer you a free audiobook of your choice. All you have to do is register for one month free trial to claim your free audiobook. There are over 150,000 to choose from. The 30-day free trial means you can choose a free audiobook, which is yours to keep whether or not you decide to cancel in the trial period. And there's more good news. If you trialed the service over 12 months ago, the good people at Audible are giving you a chance to get your hands on another audiobook for free. So sign up at www.audible.co.uk forward slash Londonist. You're listening to Londonist Out Loud. I'm N. Quentin Wolfe with me, Lisa Bellity, London Fostering Achievement, and Zion Zachary, who is a youth ambassador for the Fostering Network. And we've been talking about, uh, well, we've been talking about fostering, funnily enough. I wanted to talk about the families who foster. Is it always families, by the way, or do you get individuals who foster? You do get individuals who foster. Um, so, for example, some of our uh, champions are sort of in a family unit, and both them and their husbands or wives are registered foster carers or partners. Um, and uh, sometimes you get single foster carers too. Families come in all shapes and sizes. Now, for what reason does somebody typically foster? Are they getting paid, for example? Well, actually, um, over 50% of foster carers don't get pay, as in an allowance for the work that they do. It's just money for the young person that they look after. So, actually, I think in order to be a foster carer, you have to have a lot of love in your heart and a spare room in your home and have a real commitment to changing the lives of children because uh, it's certainly not a heavily financially incentivised career. It also sounds as though there are a number of... uh, I can't really call them anything other than potential downsides you could be dealing with confrontations you'll almost certainly be dealing with somebody who is traumatized to one degree or another troubled at the very least and uh, from what you said it sounds as though there may be a succession of those experiences in your fostering uh, career let's call it why would somebody take that on there must be easier ways to live your life lisa said you have to have a passion and a care you have to have a lot of love in your heart that's the foundation of why i i see anybody doing that because why would you throw yourself into a hostile situation and cause you know stress in your own life you know if you're not with that aim to help that person so that's the only possible reason why somebody would endure such a thing and it really shows that there are some special individuals who do 
come to the fostering roles and uh, a lot of their skills and a lot of the things they have I think can be transferable into if they could be transferred into many other professions that are around today I think people would be more committed to whatever they're doing because you're going to an environment which isn't going to be you know all, all, all sunshine and rainbows it's going to be very challenging and you're not exactly getting the largest wage for it either so um yeah it's, it's purely down to a big deep love in their heart for that young person and wanting to bring about some some change some great change alongside those capacities what specific skills might a foster carer need to possess what skills are you able to teach them i mean the first kind of thing i'd say is that there isn't much to stop you from becoming a foster carer if you really want to so if you do have love in your heart you do have a spare room check out our website fostering.net we're doing a big foster care fortnight event next for the next two weeks and it's all about celebrating what foster carers do but i would say that actually as you become a foster carer we at the fostering network have a package called skills to foster and it teaches you about the different skills that you need to deal with challenging situations so issues that you may be faced with around behavior things like empathy um, understanding young people setting boundaries um, everything from kind of health care to you know daily uh, interactions with the social worker or contact with the birth family I think that foster carers are really multi-skilled people um, and I have great admiration for the number of different skills that they need to have on a daily basis to be not only working with other professionals and supporting education but actually working with young people themselves 24-7 in their own homes. I want to approach a subject which I suspect might be less welcome in the conversation. We mentioned the idea of kids being people, being individuals in formation and with that in mind the same as you get horrible grown-ups surely you must get children who are the root of some of the problems that are going on around them how do we process this idea actually yeah no that's a, that's an interesting take on what we would at the fostering network call um a kind of different style of attachment so um when a young person is a baby they learn from their carers and their caregivers kind of how to be attached and some young people are securely attached in a loving environment some young people face instability or abuse or neglect and obviously that then has an impact on uh, the way that you behave as you're growing up and as an adult and then of course um being a teenager and kind of puberty comes in and all sorts of other changes going on for you as well so I've no doubt that young people can be extremely challenging but I'd have to say that certainly we as professionals and at the Fostering Network we don't write people off because they're difficult we try and understand the reasons why that might be and find a a sort of different way of working with somebody and being a foster carer you have to kind of be very um, enthusiastic about trying different ways if something's not working and taking some responsibility for trying a different way to work with a young person so I have to say that we don't we don't give up on young people and we would never say you know you're bad and you can't have a foster placement. <laughs> well, no, I'm, I'm certainly not <laughs> suggesting that. And I'm, I'm going to refine my idea a little bit. Cause I'm, I'm certainly not suggesting uh, that anybody would be written off or should be written off. And it's quite clear if somebody has been through certain experiences that then that may well have shaped how they are, how they behave. And all the same, I sort of have in my mind that there must be some kids who don't get on well with what on the face of it seems to be a perfectly nice family, birth family and ends up with a foster family and they cause all sorts of trouble there as well. Maybe there isn't a particular reason for it, but they just can't get on with anybody. I mean, how, how do you deal with that? That must exist, right? 
Well, then it's about finding the right the right family for that young person. So if they're a young person that needs particularly intensive one-to-one support, then you might find a different kind of foster carer rather than a foster carer who has lots of their own birth children or multiple children in a placement at once. But I think it is about finding that right placement, that right family for that young person. And I have to say, as a professional, I've worked with young people who have been extremely difficult on the first meeting. And my very favourite story is a young lady who, um, when I asked her her name, said, what do you want to know my name for? Which wasn't a very good beginning to a situation. In fairness, I do that every time I go to Starbucks. (laughs) And uh, after a few weeks of working together quite intensively, the situation had changed. And I remember her offering me some chocolate and thinking, my goodness, this is an enormous breakthrough. Um, But I think it's about that perseverance. It's letting a young person who may have been let down lots of times know that you're not going anywhere. And actually, um, they may sort of act out and they may try and push you away, but you are going to be there and you are going to... Uh, cope with a challenging situation alongside them. So maybe this brings us sort of to a natural close and uh, maybe a a little bit more about the London campaign that's ongoing. We've got the social services involved in a situation where the family is unhappy, things aren't working out as they should. Social services decides that an intervention is necessary and at some point further down the trail the front door of a foster family is knocked upon and the child is presented. How does the fostering network fit into that process? Where do they come in? What's your remit? So we don't recruit foster carers. Um, that's for local services to do, um, both in local authorities and independently. But what we do do is provide information, advice and guidance and support. So we have a helpline. We have a team that go out and work with um, different services to try and um, help them around new legislation and practice that comes out. We run training. And Zion and I have a really uh, fabulous programme that we're involved in that I run, which is London Fostering Achievement. And it's all about equipping foster carers with the right skills around education, which is so important for young people's outcomes so we do a lot of training we train foster carers to run training Um, we have champions who champion this locally in five boroughs in London we have a fantastic team of young ambassadors who represent the voice of young people and inspire other young people with their stories so you are cultivating this resource that is the foster people yes Yes. (laughs) (laughs) foster uh, foster carers and young people and Mm. actually we've got foster carers on our team who just have such a different range of professions Mm. we have an economy we have somebody who runs his own business. We have a primary school teacher, a math secondary school teacher. We have like a huge range of people that they've all got that passion and that enthusiasm for change. Um, and as part of the young ambassadors, we obviously have Zions on. I don't know if you want to mention sort of the range of young ambassadors we work with too. Yeah, we do have a range of young ambassadors. I'm, I myself, I particularly specialise in the field of enterprise. So I'm, I'm an aspiring social entrepreneur. My social enterprise is a business that aims to use football coaching and intensive mentoring to rehabilitate young offenders, mainly those who are overrepresented in the care system. So young males around 13 to 18 years old who have been affiliated with the care system and as a result of their negative circumstances have landed in the youth justice system. So it's to aim at that target age group using sport and mentoring as an intervention to alleviate those problems and there's other young other young ambassadors there who come from a range of backgrounds as well who have um, relations with uh, media aspects as well as politics as well and sport some some who who, who play sports you know footballers etc as well so you, you you do have a wide variety of talents giftings and areas where people come from and that's always going to complement a group well we should 
Let people know how they can get in touch with you for any number of reasons I could imagine that might have come up uh, during our conversation. How can they reach the Fostering Network? Um, so the Fostering Network is on Twitter and Facebook. Please uh, follow us. Uh, also visit fostering.net to find out more information. And particularly um, over the next two weeks, I mentioned we're having Foster Care Fortnight from the 1st to the 14th of June. And this year it's about my connection to fostering. So if you have a connection to fostering, we have placards that you can write on and tweet a picture of yourself. So we're just kind of showing how many people have connections to it and what an important thing it is to do. And I must say from the one or two people who I've come into contact with who've had some connection with fostering, it's always seemed to me that they speak very very passionately about it whichever end of things they come in on it has quite obviously not only been a life-changing experience for them but you get the sense that they are very open to changing somebody else's life for the better we're going to tie off now the playground behind us is starting to warm up some daredevil scooter users are flying through the air and it's it's turned out nice here in victoria park lisa bellatis and zachary thanks very much thank you thank you thank you and that's all for today my thanks for today to Lisa Belletti and to Zion Zachary thanks to, to Dominic Stevenson Mark Barr and Bernie Barkley theme and incidental music was by Songs from the Howling Sea I'm in Quentin Morph Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.